Living Local, telling the stories that connect us. A United Way of Greater Milwaukee and Waukesha County podcast. Today on Living Local, we sit down with Mike Ingrelli. Mike's worked in the plumbing industry for over 32 years, has been a master plumber for 28 of those years, and has been a business owner for just over eight years. His passion is staying involved with many different organizations that deal with addiction and addiction recovery. Mike sits on the board of directors for the Addiction Resource Council and at Rogers Memorial Hospital. Mike, thanks for joining us today, and can you share why these things are your passion? Good morning. Well, uh, it's the recovery world has saved my life. Um, being a recovering alcoholic addict for a little bit over six and a half years now, um, I found out that to stay involved in the program and to be as close as I can to help as many people as I can, um, being involved in different um, organizations keeps me close to it, keeps me in touch with a lot of people so that I can share my story and uh, touch as many people as I can. So you say you're recovering yourself. Um, can you talk about that? And you said for about six and a half years? Yes. Um, I have been clean and sober for a little over six and a half years. My sobriety date is May 4th of 2010. I did go through the Harrington Recovery Center uh, in Oconomowoc for 44 days. And um, it's basically saved my life. Um, I had a history of relapsing, and I just wasn't able to do it on my own until a lot of help from some loved ones actually got me into that recovery center. Can you talk about um, what your addiction was? What were the things that you used and maybe why you were using? Uh, alcohol and cocaine actually were my drugs of choice. The reason why I drank, there's many reasons why. I've been through counseling and things like that. I was brought up in a very close family, middle class. Um, I was brought up around drinking, and it was just the thing to do. Well, I did not understand at the time that my drinking got progressively worse the older I got. Then uh, I did go to school for a short time at Whitewater, played a little sports there, got hurt playing sports, got involved with the wrong crowd, and got introduced to drugs, and cocaine was one of the drugs, and uh, that was something that really took off with me. So being in my early 50s now, you can imagine from my early 20s on what a long drinking and drugging career and destruction you can cause when your addiction takes over your life like that. So you really found drugs in college, and then um, did you use them to maintain kind of or were they more recreational for you in use? At first, they definitely were recreational. Um, just like anyone who gets started, you, you love that initial buzz, whether it helps you escape, whether it helps you fit in, whether it, they call it the social lubricant. Um, at first, it was wonderful, but then, and I didn't realize it till much later in life, that all of the problems that I had in life were directly related to drinking and drugging. I blamed everyone for every issue that I had, whether it was male, female, mother, father, siblings, or any of my friends. It was always their issue. It was never my fault as related to drugs and how it affected my life and how I lived my daily life. You know, when you uh, are in relationship after relationship and you're in argument after argument, uh, there was this common thread, and it was me and my drinking. Um, at first, I never missed work. I was always on time. I, I had a very close relationship with my brother, 
And um, but then as time progressed and the drinking got more, and I found out that all of my emotional, mental issues um, were covered up by my drinking and drugging. Um, I, like a lot of other people, was very insecure, even though everybody said, you have no reason to be insecure. I always felt alone in a crowd. And being able to drink, which is socially acceptable, um, helped me not feel that way. And then when the drinking didn't help as much, then you can kind of speed it up and accelerate it with drugs. Well, of course, I knew all the right people, so it, they, were, they were easily found no matter where I wanted to go. And you say that um, family and loved ones helped you realize that you needed to go to rehab. Um, can you talk about the moment that you decided that that was the thing for you to do? There was definitely not one moment, but probably I would say the last three or four months before I ended up getting into the Harrington Recovery Center, I had had three different hospital visits for alcohol issues, alcohol poisoning. My blood alcohol content was very high. I was not able to help take care of myself. I was going through a divorce. The wonderful person I was dating at the time felt the brunt of my drinking. And um, she tried lots of different things. A lot of the friends that I was hanging around with were, you know, you have to stop this. And I said, of course I can control this. I can stop this on my own. And uh, after one of my hospital visits, I ended up going into like an intensive outpatient program, which is three, four times a week, four or five hours. You learn everything there is to learn. Well, I was the ultimate student. I had my little book with me. I took down notes perfectly and I drank shortly thereafter. And then I was hiding it. And then I was hiding drugs. And then I would call my ex-wife and say, look, I can't pick up the kids. Now, who does that? Of course, I love my kids. Of course, I want to be a good man. I did not realize how out of control it was. Three times later, hospital visits, overnights, emergency room visits, uh, another failed attempt at an IOP, I literally did not want to be around anymore. Can you tell me what an IOP is? Intensive Outpatient Program. Okay. Rogers does it. Uh, St. Mary's Ozaki was one of the other ones that I had gone through. And uh, I knew book-wise a lot about my addiction. I even studied extra, so I figured if I knew how to control my addiction, then I could keep it up. Well, it was out of control. I could not stop. The last two weeks before I ended up in the hospital again, the people that I cared about the most, a business partner and my girlfriend at the time, said, we're done with you. And they literally were. They, they shut me off completely, financially, uh, socially, everything. So that's when I proceeded to actually try to drink and drug myself to death. And after a short amount of time went by, um, I was a complete mess. The police came and the rest is history. I went through the emergency room, stayed there for a while. Then I got into the detox center where I spent seven days. And then I was fortunate enough to get a bed at the Harrington Recovery Center. But the love of close friends, of a very good woman, my kids, I mean, they wrote me letters, they wrote me notes. I just couldn't stop. In the last couple of days, it was just uncontrollable. And for anyone out there listening to this that has an issue with addiction, you know when that switch flips and you cannot stop. 
and and that's where I definitely was. And I, I knew I was in trouble. Thank God I actually made it. There was no physical, medical way I was supposed to have made it, but I did, and uh, I'm a firm believer that my higher power wants me here for a reason, and just the fact you guys asked me to speak here is one of those reasons, because I get to share how terrible and how much devastation was in my life, but now six and a half years later, my life has gotten exponentially better, and that's, that's the truth. I would ask, you know, you talked a little bit about the advice to give other people who are struggling with addiction, and we had talked a little bit before we started recording about stigma, and you're openly sharing your story with us, so can you talk about that a little bit and why you choose to do that? If if I were here talking about cancer or if I was here talking about diabetes, there would be a different mindset listening to me talk. I can be book smart about what's going on, but... With, with addiction, there is a different social stigma that I, I totally don't agree with, obviously. I'm not ashamed to give my first and last name. I'm not ashamed to talk about my family or my business. I know I have a disease. It's a medically proven, documented disease. Some people don't understand that. There's a lot of people that are in their addiction that don't totally believe that they have this disease. But it is a disease. It's a disease of the brain. It's a disease of the part of your brain that helps us make a choice. Once we drink or use, that allergy takes over, and we literally do not have a choice. And for the normie, as we call them, with no disrespect intended, that is something they don't understand, that this good person, Billy, Johnny, Susie, has no conscious choice once they use or once they pick up that drink of what's going to happen next. So that social stigma, people are afraid to talk about it. They're afraid to say, hey, look, I need help. And that's what we're out here for. There's lots of places all over, especially Waukesha County with the Addiction Resource Council and, you know, Rogers Memorial, and there's the pro-health group that's out there. There's tons of people. The United Way now is, is just spreading the word so fantastic. Look, let us know you need help. We'll steer you in the right direction. Because I have been to more funerals that I can count, and I've talked to more parents and significant others of when, when they lose a loved one to this disease that they, they have no idea it was this bad. And, and that's, that's a shame. And I'm here to tell you at, you know, 51 years old, it's never too late, first of all. Second of all, you're never too young. 11, 12-year-olds are being reported with drinking and, and, and drugging issues. And, and when you get that feeling that you're alone out there, that's a very dangerous feeling. And you're not alone out there. There's thousands of us out there that are working a program that know who to talk to and all you have to do is ask. And um, to be honest with you, that was my biggest problem is I was this man who did not want to ask for help. And deep inside, everything in me was screaming, get help, get help. And until it was almost too late, you know, I, I finally got help. And, I, and I'm, I'm living proof that we can do this. We can all do this. Mike, can you talk about how, as a business owner, your addiction affects not only you, but maybe your employees and some of your clients as well? That's a great question that you ask because being in recovery myself, I've always had issues dealing with things, dealing with problems, facing them head on. One thing that's uh, very cool for me being in the program that I am in is I've got resources that I can go to to talk to help me deal with my stress. 
the program that I work is a 12-step program, and it teaches me how to be a better human being. It teaches me how to be a better man. So that being said, being a business owner with, you know, seven employees, um, it helps me treat them with more respect. Um, it also enables me to be more compassionate to my employees, which, to be honest with you, one of them is in recovery as well, and to, to deal with that on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, the percentages of people who stay in recovery isn't how it should be, but I am very grateful that um, I have the insight to know that when one of my employees has a problem, whether it's with themselves or with their significant other, I have the background to actually be compassionate. Yes, I'm a business owner. Business comes first in that respect where I have to protect my business because that's how I provide for my family. But I have the, the, the compassion to, to deal with issues that arise from my employees if there is a drinking, excuse me, a drinking or a drug issue. And then there are some of my customers out there that actually know that I am in the program, that I'm in recovery, and they literally will freely talk about it, and which is really cool because every I'm a service and repair plumber. So I'm in lots of different people's homes, and people, for whatever reason, they want to share while the plumber's there, and they share certain things. I love having the insight to know, wow, you know, oh, I, I can relate to that. I can steer you kind of in this direction. Larger corporations and bigger companies with their human resources people, it's a, it's a whole different problem when you have hundreds of employees. But it all comes down to the basic thing. We employ human beings who have issues. They have ups and downs. Their productivity as a business owner is most important. Why wouldn't we want happy, healthy employees to help us generate business, which, generates, which makes my family's life better, which makes the employee's family life better? Why not be able to deal with this? And it all comes down to education. You have to educate yourself. But like I had mentioned, first and foremost, as a business owner, you need to protect your business. If you can't get your employees help through the EAP programs and through some other things, and if you have to let them go, that's a consequence of our behavior. And when I say our behavior, I mean an alcoholic or an addict. If, if we deserve the consequences that we get when we make those mistakes and we do those wrong things. But the owner side of me will always give a second chance and a third chance a lot of times. And um, I'm very lucky that um, to be in that situation because it makes me more understanding out there. That compassion really means something, I'm sure, to all of your employees and the people that you're surrounded with. I have my good with. days and my bad days with that compassion side of things. But yes, it's, it's, it's a big thing and it helps me be just a better human being, a better man. I guess I would just ask if there's anything else you'd like to leave with someone who's listening who may have a loved one who has an addiction or someone who's struggling themselves? I'm glad you worded it the way you worded it at the end there. For the, the loved one who thinks that they can fix or cure their person in their life that's got the addiction is you can't. First of all, it's not your fault that this person has this. There's nothing medically that you've done. There's nothing socially, emotionally that you could do to, to help this person. One thing I would ask of you is you hate the disease, do not hate the person. And I know we cause a lot of devastation and we steal and we lie and we manipulate. And there's a lot of pain that's out there. 
But if you go into it knowing it's not your fault, it is a disease, and you can only do the best you can. So if you exhaust your resources doing the best you can, you can have that peace of mind to know you did your best as a parent, as a loved one. It's very difficult to turn us away, meaning us meaning the, the addict, but you have to protect yourself. And if you're not healthy, you can't help the addict as well. Um, it's a devastating thing. That's why there, there's lots of other programs for family members that they can get help, and there's lots of support. Because for every alcoholic or addict, there are dozens of people that are associated with that person that are affected by their disease. And if everyone is on the same page with, with knowing it is a disease, yes, you're angry, but mostly you're scared to death that you're going to lose this person, you need to get help as well. And um, th that's really the key to it is you can't fix us. You can be healthy on your own and you can give us the dignity to make our choices, whether it's the right choice or the wrong choice. Um, we still will make those. And you need to know it's not your fault. I think it's really great. And thank you so much, Mike, for sitting down and talking with us today. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I sincerely appreciate it. If you or someone you know is battling addiction, there are resources that can help. Simply dial 211. It's a non-judgmental resource helpline that can connect you to a trained addiction specialist to help find the resources that you need. You can also call on behalf of a friend or loved one. Living Local is produced by myself, Rebecca Shimke, Katie Kuhn, Melissa Hannon, Brian McKaig, and John Waldbauer. Thank you to Ethan and Maeve McKaig for providing the music and voice talent for our introduction. We want to hear from you. Share your thoughts on Living Local and what topics you would like to see us cover by visiting our webpage, www.unitedwaygmwc.org forward slash podcast.